0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. I've taught you this before that God made Joseph an example of the Christ. He made him a prophetic picture of Christ and what he will. Do. I even went so far as to give you similarities. I think it was two weeks ago. Joseph was the beloved of his father, and Jesus is the beloved of God. God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, but specifically, the exact brother that said, Instead of leaving him in the pits, let us sell him off to slavery. That brother was called Judah by name. And interestingly, the person who betrayed Jesus is called Judas. And the names actually have the same roots in the Hebrew. Joseph was betrayed for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Joseph was stripped of his robe when he was sold to slavery. Jesus was stripped of his robe when he was arrested. Joseph was a victim of an unfair trial, you know, with the case of Potiphar's wife. And Jesus was a victim of unfair trial. It was because of the jealousy of the chief priests, high priest, that he was um, arrested. But of all the similarities, the one that really stands out is this. It is the fact that in what appeared to be the unfortunate circumstances that befell that befell Joseph everything worked together for the fulfillment of the good prophecy of God over his life and so eventually when he saw his brothers he wasn't exactly angry with them and he said something very profound I want to share with you. Turn your Bibles, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Everybody read together, one, two, go. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as this day, to save much people alive. KJV put it in a very funny way, but I mean, you get the picture. You thought you were doing evil against me, but God walked with your evil to bring out good. And because of what has happened, many people's lives will be saved. And this is just a picture of Christ, exactly what happened. That people thought they were doing evil against him. The Bible tells us categorically, 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight. it says... If the princes of the world knew, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They thought they were doing evil. But in trying to execute evil, God turned it around to fulfill his plan. And so um, the disciples were praying in Acts chapter 4 verse 28. And this was one of the things they said. Acts chapter 4. Let me start from verse twenty-seven, Acts chapter four, from verse twenty-seven. It says, "For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, but Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do." Verse twenty-eight. Everybody, read verse twenty-eight together. Want to go to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So the demonstration of their wickedness served to fulfill. The purpose of God. God was not the reason for their wickedness, but God walked in spite of their wickedness. You need to understand this in spite of their wickedness to fulfill his purpose. So now this changes and challenges our perspective of salvation generally. Because when we think of salvation, we're thinking of a strong person just stepping in, stepping in by his influence or by his might. To save a troubled people. But now we're talking about a suffering Messiah. Who by his suffering was going to save. That almost for the first time in history, bad happening to someone was going to bring good to all humanity. It challenges our perspective of power. Because when you look at man, the origin of man from the primordial, primitive man, we believed in what was called survival of the fetus. It wasn't quite what we believed in. It was, just what was obtainable. it was just what was obtainable at the time. The strongest person in the village was very likely the champion of the village. The person who will defend the village was very likely the person who will be the king and all of that. And so you were as successful as you were powerful physically at the time. We have examples like that in the Bible. Saul was the champion of the Israelites because he could defeat, you know, the Philistines. And the Bible tells us categorically that he was shoulder above every other people. So he had that build physically. But as time went on, the office of power and influence moved from physical to physical. To intellectual so yes I might not be able to have a face-off with you physically but I can build an arrow and from a distance you get what I'm saying so um, that was the advent of slingshots and then things get even got even more sophisticated and man designed guns and all of that remotely controlled fighter jets sophisticated you're talking about the different level of sophistication so it became an intellectual power play i mean the f- the powers of the world right now are not necessarily the countries that have the most physically strong people are they right it's about the intellect and what you can do with your mind and then prophetically i'm telling you <laughs> that irrespective of all that we've learned to do with our hands and all that we have learned to do with our mind. We still haven't learned to fix the soul. We've we've built spaceships that can literally visit the moon. We've done incredible things. But there is still one fundamental thing that we have not solved. That poverty of spirit of the soul, that sense in even the greatest and the mightiest of men, after he has acquired all things in the world, And he discovers that things cannot satisfy. What is this inner craving of the man? There is still a spiritual salvation to be acquired. We need a savior. The same way we have political saviors. Technological saviors. Who by their inventions have done great things for all humanity. There is still that inner craving and longing. And now the Bible tells us. That this salvation plan will not be carried out by might. It will be carried out by the suffering of the Messiah. And like I said, it challenges all that we know about power and how it should be wielded. The salvation story is a story of pain, but the pain is purposeful. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 1, very passionate story that you probably have read before. Revelation 5 from verse 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a great angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose the seals? And no one in heaven and on earth and under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. He says, I wept much. He makes a call to all humanity. All men, great and small, rich and poor. Because now we have all kinds of people with different intelligent quotients. Physical strength. Unimaginable physical strength intellectual strength and might but now there's a scroll that is supposed to unfold god's prophetic eschatological plan for all humanity i wish i had time to explain that even if you don't know what the scroll represents from the story you can tell is something that all of humanity needs and now he's making a call who is worthy to open this scroll to lose the seals He says, no one in heaven and on earth, despite all our inventions and acquisitions, no one was worthy. He says, I wept. We need a savior and no one amongst us is worthy. And as he was weeping, the Bible says, one one elder, verse 5, said to me, do not weep. He said, behold, though what? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose his seven seals. I asked you to repeat lion of the tribe of Judah because you will need it very soon. But just as he was weeping, he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. To open the scroll and to lose his seven seals. And now, even though, yeah, this is a prophetic vision, and they're using metaphors, but the picture of a lion, de- therefore, definitely just casts something in your mind. Lion, that's someone brave, someone ferocious. That's a conqueror. King of the jungle. This is the perspective of the Messiah you should have. Is he's a lion. And you're wondering, you're inquisitive. So how is he going to do it? Is he Navy SEAL? Is he going to command an army? Oh, 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 I know, I know, I know. Uh, he's, he's the greatest genius mankind has ever seen. Who is this lion? In what way is he a lion? So when um, John heard, Weep not, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. The Bible tells us in verse 6, He said, I looked to see. I, I wanted to see the lion. And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, I wanted to see the lion. And what did I see? In the midst of the air stood a what? A lamb. You said the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And when I looked to see what you were talking about, I saw a lamb instead. And not just a lamb, a lamb that is slain. This is your picture of the Messiah. This is your picture of salvation. I thought we needed someone ferocious. I thought we needed a conqueror. I thought we're going to need a great army or weapons like the world has never seen to subjugate the enemy. And then I look and I see a lamb. Like I said, God's salvation plan radically challenges our perspective of power and how we should be wielded. The devil never saw it coming. He said if he had known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because he didn't see how the misfortune of the Christ, supposedly in the cross, would bring the greatest blessing ever known to man. This is why the people in the early church struggled. This is why the preaching of the cross is called foolishness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 18, Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. perishing." Foolishness. You need eternal life. Okay, we do. All right. How are we going to get it? Someone else is going to die. What do you mean? Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved, glory to God. It is the power of God. So he's saying... The same story is seen in different ways. Some type of people see it as foolishness. But we see it as the power of God. Very similar to the vision in that throne room. The elder saw a ferocious lion. But practically, John saw a slaughtered lamb. Come on, are you with me? It means... With your natural eyes, you may see weakness. But with the eyes of the spirit, you see conquest. Glory to God. Verse 19 says, For as it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made the foolishness of the wisdom of the made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached, we will save those who believe. For the Jews seek a sign. Oh. If you're the Messiah, you ought to just show signs in the sky and you know. And the Greeks seek wisdom. We belong to the Lord of Aristotle, Socrates. Those are our fathers. So if you're talking about the Messiah, he has to be someone with some profound philosophical knowledge. Which comes first, the chicken or the hen? To be or not to be. We didn't expect someone to come and say, I am the bread come down from heaven. (laughs) Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's not quite what we were expecting. Hallelujah. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, say amen, somebody. So we titled this sermon, Coat of Many Colors, because the coat that Joseph wore was a symbol of the favor that he had before his father. And the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 5 verse 12, it says, with favor, he will encompass us like a shield. So favor is something like, that we can wear like a cloth. And we believe that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the favor that he had before the Father has been given to us. Say loud, amen. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 4, it says, according as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame, Before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Christ is the beloved. God boasted about his love for Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now, he says, we have gained acceptance in the beloved. And how was that going to come? By the sufferings of Christ. So, myriads of texts foretold that the Messiah was going to suffer and that his suffering will be the salvation of humanity. Just in case you don't understand what the objective of all that I'm saying is, I just told you to show you from the scriptures that the Messiah was foretold, you know, it was foretold that the Messiah would suffer and that will not be a bad thing. his suffering will bring salvation to all humanity. We'll look at two texts very quickly. Look at Luke chapter 24 verse 25. Luke chapter 24 verse 25. Then he said unto them, "O fools, so of hard to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Verse 26. Everybody read verse 26. Together. Listen, what you're about to read is a commentary on the entire Old Testament. So, this is, this is what you are to understand if you read the Old Testament through the proper lenses. Verse 26: One, two, go. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So, from his commentary on the Old Testament, he knew the Christ was meant to suffer and the suffering will bring glory look at first peter chapter one from verse nine to eleven. 1 peter chapter one from verse nine to eleven it says receiving the end of your faith faith first peter nine to eleven the salvation of your souls it says of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace which was to come to you searching what or what manner of time the spirit of christ which was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the what? Sufferings of Christ and the what? Glories that will follow. So they foretold Christ will suffer and glory will follow that suffering. So true the lens of proper Bible study. We see the suffering of Christ and we thank God for it, you know. When we didn't know better, when we're watching um, Passion of the Christ, we will cry and we will scream, why are you beating him like that? Stop him, and you're imagining that if you were there, would just rush them, you know. One of the biggest mistakes we ever made as a family was watching Passion of the Christ with our grandmother. It was horrible. She was screaming in our language, which I know very little of. I speak in tongues, amen? (laughs) Leave him alone! What did he do to you? Leave him alone! And all of that. But with what you know now, do you want him to leave him alone? (laughs) If you were there now, you say, ah, don't worry, Jesus. So thank you, eh? Ah, thank you. Don't worry after three days. <laughs> Hallelujah. You will cry and say, Stop. You just cry and say, Thank you. The sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Think about it. In the early church. All they had was the Old Testament Bible the same way you know God blessed that Gideon company that gave many people New Testaments did you ever receive make it an ambition in life to do great for the kingdom that way Uh, you know the contribution of that company alone (laughs) anyways so but in the Old Testament they had just Genesis to Malachi and all the New Testament preaching they did they did with that Bible if they were going to have a teaching on the Holy Spirit they did it with Old Testament Bible Genesis to Malachi if they were going to teach that Jesus was the Christ they did it with Genesis to Malachi they showed from Genesis to Malachi that Jesus was the Christ they showed that he was to suffer they showed the glories that should follow from Genesis to Malachi and you may not know, there are some things I teach you in this church, you, you think it's just for the sake of knowledge, until one day. And I'll never forget, um, ha, you know this internet generation, you better be careful, there's a lot of falsehood on the internet. And so this guy read some funny stuff and started practicing Judaism, imagine. And then he said he doesn't believe in the New Testament. This was when I was in Abuja. He doesn't believe in the New Testament. And he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so if I wanted to share the scriptures with him, I had to use only the Old Testament. So we were explaining it was a duel of one hour, one hour duel from the Old Testament explaining that Jesus was the Christ. And one text that he struggled with and was eventually was his peril was Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to do a brief commentary on that. It's just a scanty commentary on that. Isaiah 53 is so important. You see, in Jerusalem, there are many Jews who are still waiting for the coming of Christ. And let me tell you this. Today, when the Old Testament is read in their synagogue, there is a chapter that they would always skip. And that is Isaiah 53. Because it's hard to read Isaiah 53 and not see Christ. It's hard. Praise the Lord. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 that... Philip found himself with an Ethiopian eunuch, and he found him reading a portion of the scripture. The portion of the scripture said, "Like a sheep before the shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth." You know, and Philip said, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And he said, "How can I accept someone shows me?" So the Bible says Philip, beginning at that verse, began to preach unto him the Christ. You know, that's that's the reference there. Beginning at that verse, began to preach unto him the Christ. Let's see. Verse 34, right? Okay, yeah, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that scripture, preached unto him, preached Jesus to him. So that tells you that the scripture he was reading was talking about Christ. The scripture he was reading was Isaiah chapter 53. So I want, you to, I want to take you through that and help you see from that text, The sufferings of the Christ, the glories that will follow. Listen, it was such a profound prophecy of Christ. It was written 700 years before Christ. And the level of precision in it is incredible. So we commentary, Isaiah 53 now. Hallelujah. From verse 1, Isaiah 53, it says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Every good student of the New Testament knows this from the New Testament because this phrase was used in the New Testament, specifically in Romans chapter 10 verse 16. Romans 10 verse 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, now he's quoting Isaiah, For Isaiah said, Lord who had believed our report. So that tells us, The word report was actually talking about the gospel, the good news. And Isaiah foretold that people were going to struggle to grasp it, to understand it, to receive it. He said, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord was a metaphor of his salvation. Who is going to understand God's saving plan? Because how can you grasp? that the arm of the Lord will be revealed in a manner that many people will consider weakness. How can the Messiah die? How will people believe these reports? How will they see the arm and the strength of of God in the death of his Christ? Verse two, for he shall grow up before him a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground, He had no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This was a prophecy of the physical visage of the Christ. He said when you see him, there is nothing about him physically that will scream Christ. Nothing. Isn't it noteworthy that the Bible didn't give us any single physical detail about the physical attributes about Christ? Because there was nothing to say. The Bible tells us about Saul. He was taller than everybody. He was stronger than everybody. The Bible tells us about David. Says nothing about Christ and what he looked like physically. Wouldn't it have been easy if Christ had some physical attributes that pointed to the fact that he was the Christ? Maybe a pointed nose. We we'll say, ah, his nose. He knows it all. You, you, you have to know it all with this nose. We beheld his nose. The nose as of the... You know, <laughs> but there was nothing extraordinary about his physical visage. Nothing, he didn't carry a cloud over his head. He looked like every other person. He wasn't even born to a rich family, of all places, born in a manger, grew up in Nazareth. When someone heard the invitation to come and see Christ, he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Of all places to grow up. Of all families to be born to, the family of a carpenter, there was no beauty physically that made him desirable. No wonder he came to his own, his own received him not. But the Bible says, as many as received him. So that everyone who received him, received him just strictly by the revelation of faith. There was nothing about him physically. That screamed or pointed to who he truly was. Verse 3 says he was despised, rejected, doomed to die. That's what it means. Despised, rejected of men, men, a man of many sorrows, acquainted with with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. A man acquainted with grief, a man acquainted with, with shame, Golgotha was a public place where people of low economic status lived. It was like, I don't want to give any place, just a local place. (laughs) I wonder why you're laughing. If I gave a place now, problem. (laughs) And then at the center of the lowest ebb in the society, There's a cross there and then the Messiah is hanging there half naked with nails in his wrists nails in his legs and that's your picture of your savior that's the picture of the arm of God like God was flexing his muscle in that way to save humanity no one from an intellectual natural standpoint could have seen that wasn't desirable at all. And verse 4, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Despite all that people have to say, despite the fact that, you know, even according to the, the books in Jerusalem, according to their records, Jesus died like a criminal. <laughs> there was a police case against him. But this is the Bible reports. I like the first verse of verse 4. It's an objection to popular opinion of that day. He says, Surely, forget what the Roman soldier said. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He says, Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. We thought. He was paying for his own sins, but he was not. The Bible says he was tempted at all points, yet without sin. He was not there on his own account. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Hallelujah. He didn't die for himself, he didn't need to die for himself. He died for us. And verse 5 says, But he was wounded. The English Standard Version says he was pierced, which is more accurate. Pierced for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, oh glory to God, we are healed. Just think about it. This is a medical paradox that by buffeting someone, other people are healed. By his stripes... I mean, you are beating someone up, torturing him, and by his death, others get to live. No wonder Isaiah said, who has believed our report? By his stripes, we are healed. Glory to God. And verse 6. Oh, this is so powerful. You know, it's hard to believe that this was written 700 years ago, even though there are records to show. It looks like the person who was writing this was a journalist watching all that was happening, standing right at the foot of the cross and making a commentary. Verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It says, we have turned every man, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity iniquity of us all. Glory to Jesus. Verse 7. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. This was what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth, meaning he didn't even defend himself. This was fulfilled at the trial of Point, before Pontius Pilate. Pilate knew that this guy was innocent. He knew, and he was determined to let him go. There were many reasons why he knew. First and foremost, his wife had seen in a vision. This man is innocent and nothing to do with his execution. So Pilate tried, tried. He knew that it was on account of the jealousy of the high priests that this man was standing before him on trial. So he wanted to let him go. He came up with several smart means. He said, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. According to my office, I have the right to release one prisoner every year so i present to you barabbas or jesus you know he the what he expected from the people was the kind of response they expected was nah it's not that deep now uh-uh yeah this is a blasphemer but how will you say shekau versus you know that was the expression, that was what he expected. That is not that deep. Oh, we see what you did, we see what you did. Okay, 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 forget it. Of course, crucify Barabbas, but to his shock, I know what he's about to say next. To his shock, they shouted, Crucify Jesus, and gave us Barabbas. And Pilate couldn't believe the Bible said he came back inside. And he looked at Jesus again and he says, where are you from? John chapter 19 from verse 10. From verse 9. And he came back again into the paratorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And he's irritated like, see the person I'm trying to help. (laughs) He said, you're not speaking to me. Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and to release you? Like if it's some other person, you, when you're seeing all the efforts I'm making, you know, with the idea of Barabbas, you say, thank you, thank you for all you're doing, sir, I don't mind them, you know. He was expecting that. And he said, don't you know I have the power to release you? You know what Jesus said? <laughs> he said, you could have no power. You could have no power at all against me unless it was given you from above. <laughs> you know, I said, therefore, It is he that delivered me to you that has the sin. You know, meaning, I I don't blame you. Yeah, I'm before you. That's why you're talking to me like this. But the fact is, Isaiah prophesied, like the sheep before the shearers is dumb, yet he opened not. He could have defended himself, but he did not. Because he knew what he was going through or about to go through was for your sake. The Bible says he endured the cross the shame he did all of that for you and i glory to his name so verse 8 of isaiah 53 says he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he has he was cut off from the land of the living for his trans for the transgression of my people was he stricken now think about this if jesus was just any other typical person he'll be concerned about his lineage oh now they're going to kill me i don't i didn't get to marry i didn't have biological children who shall declare his generation who will cont- carry my name have you ever been paranoid about the fact that jesus will come before you get married and have kids someone hey, you're covering it you're covering it up with laugh But I got you right there. Who shall declare his generation because he's cut off from the land of living? Now he has to bear the iniquities of people. He says, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Verse 9. This is such a remarkable prophecy about the kind of death he would die and the circumstances surrounding it. He said he made his grave with the wicked. That was a prophecy about the fact that two thieves would be crucified beside him. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, a prophecy of the kind of tomb in which he'll be buried." This is remarkable. He says, "Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth." Verse 10, "Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. Ah yeah, yeah. So in all of this, the demonstration of the wickedness of his time, he sees God intervening. He speaks of it as though it was God who was doing it. Meanwhile, it was the wickedness of the people. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And then he says this When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. This is so powerful. Just two verses before, he said, Who shall declare his generation? As if he's caught up from the land of the living now, how he, will his lineage be preserved? But he's saying, his death will be the preservation of his lineage. He shall see his seed. You know how the writer of Hebrews put it? He said, by his death, he has brought many sons to glory. That's why Jesus said, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and dies, it abides alone. He says, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So naturally and biologically, if you kill someone, you have brought his lineage to a stop. But the death of Jesus multiplied his lineage. He said, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. His death was the prolonging of his days. He says, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Verse 11. You're going to have to read this one on your, standing on your feet. Oh, glory to Jesus. Again, I'm telling you, this was the material that the early church used to preach. When Peter was doing his ministry, there was no book of Matthew. There was no book of Mark. So they had to preach about Christ from the Old Testament. So you have to learn to see Christ from the Old Testament, preach Christ from the Old Testament. And see his redemptive work. So we're going to read this verse, read two verses from the next chapter. I want to give you an assignment. I want you to study Isaiah 54 when you get home. Because Isaiah 53 was a prophecy of the suffering of Christ. Isaiah 54 was a prophecy of the glory that should follow. It's so beautiful. But everybody read verse 11, Isaiah 53 together. One, two, go. hallelujah you know first and foremost it's annoying and irritating that Isaiah knew more about salvation than many people in the church today according to Isaiah how will people be justified by his knowledge did you hear that he says by his knowledge by the he says oh my god let's let's start from the beginning he said he shall see the labor of his soul the travail of his soul the suffering of his soul on the cross and be satisfied meaning the demands of justice have been met no wonder jesus on that cross before he gave up the ghost said it is finished The demands of justice are satisfied forever he said he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied he said by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities now justification is not by moral excellence he says even the most righteous amongst us our righteousness is like a filthy rag but his knowledge will justify many why For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now everlasting life will come to those who believe, who place their trust in Christ, who died their death, who took their place. I'll read just two verses from Isaiah 54 because of time. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You blessed already. Oh, this is something to shout about. From verse 7 of Isaiah 54, it says, For a small moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercy I will gather you. In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness. Glory to God. Listen, what is the duration of his kindness? Everlasting. It means it will never end. He anticipated all your weaknesses, all your frailties and still said because of the sacrifice of his son that he will have everlasting kindness. Because the death of his son is enough. With everlasting kindness, says the Lord, will I have mercy on you, said the Lord, your Redeemer. I have redeemed you. I found myself a ransom. Verse 9, He says, For these is as the waters of Noah to me. As I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be wrought with you nor rebuke you. Meaning, as surely as God swore, the waters of waters will never again destroy the world. He says, as surely as sure as He is about that, He will not be wrought with you. Hallelujah! Verse 10, you're going to read this one together, you know. Verse 10 is romantic. This is the Father's love to us. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Read verse 10 together. I want to go. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed but my kindness shall not depart from thee neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed Said the Lord that had mercy on thee. Do you believe this today? Just worship him and thank him right now. Worship him and thank him. Thank him for his kindness. No wonder Paul said in Ephesians 1 7, he says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. What a great God! How kind he is. Worship him right now. Worship him from your hearts. Your love is deeper, your grace is wider, your name is higher. Your grace is wider, and your name is higher, covering all my sins, and I stand a new man for you.